History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our After Show podcast, where we look back at the most recent episode, Martial Arts in the Philippines during 1927 to 1937 and 1946 to 1950. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else there will be spoilers ahead. This is the last one, sir. Because I thought a quadruple would be enough, because any more than that, I may get a little bit merry. Hello, my name is Ryan Weir, and I'm here in the HHE studio with the eight rays of sunshine to my 7,000 island dressing. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. <laughs> That's good. I like it when you demonstrate you've been paying attention to the episode. <laughs> And we are joined as ever by the Dulab Hangsang Dakar Sedigman. It's the judge himself. It's Mr. Paul Dursley. I do not accept that definition. Uh, well, that's uh, Filipino for the expert strategist in combat. <laughs> I'm not very good at combat. <laughs> Now, Peter, I got a nasty whack on the head from an Eskrima stick this week, and I have forgotten everything you told us in the last episode. So would you mind reminding me what happened in, let's say, 60 seconds? (laughs) (laughs) And when would you like me to start? Well, I would like you to start now. We travelled east to the Philippines to discover martial arts during the period of the Chinese Civil War, one of the few wars in history to have its own intermission. We discovered the secret to success in politics was to have a presidential parent, and we discovered Eskrima, aka Arnis, aka Kali, the speed stick fighting martial art that grew up from the rough and ready streets and whose deathmatch challenges required injury waivers. We met the founders of Dose Pares and we met Venancio Bacon, the breakaway Eskrimador, who was ambushed and actually killed his opponent. We also discovered how Eskrima moved mainstream, developing proper rules and safety equipment until it finally earned the ultimate badge of approval, becoming the national sport of the Philippines. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's going to tell you what he thought of me. He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, and what an episode it was, Pete. Full of fascinating Filipino facts and exciting Eskrima escapades. I personally learned a lot about its humble origins and the back alley brawls, and it made me rethink the image of martial arts as being not just for the enlightened. But what does it matter what I think, Pete? My opinion is like a crane kick to the face, over the top, unnecessary and difficult to defend. No, we are here for the opinion of just one man, Master Dursley. So, Paul, before we get to the final verdict, what were your first impressions of episode number 80? I thought it was an interesting take on a subject I knew very little about. I'd have to agree with you on that. And wish I knew very little about still. Oh dear. Not a fan of the martial arts, Paul? Martial, yes, but the martial arts, no. That's funny, because whenever I say hello to you, you go, hiya! No, it's, I don't know, it's all the same, isn't it? I'm, I'm not sure about the definition as well. What aspect of the definition did you have issue with, sir? Well, it's whether you have an implement or not. Well, this is where I also differed with the official definition I found, which said it was... Surely uh, there is only one official definition. No, there are many different dictionaries that have many different definitions. Ah, but you said the official definition. 
Oh, okay, an official definition from one of the ruling bodies of the English language. <laughs> okay, if, if we're talking about pedantry, um, you said to the east. Now, that assumes a Eurocentric view of the world, doesn't it? If you're in South America, the Philippines would be to the west. Well, I contend that wherever you are in the world, if you keep going east for long enough... <laughs> You will get there. Well, if you, yes, I suppose it may you, not be the shortest route. It might be the Ryan route, but you will get there. That's a long way. So, no, I took issue with the definition of it not requiring weapons because, obviously, Eskrima was a weaponed art, although it does have empty-handed elements. So, yeah, I agree with you that the definition that we were provided with was way too reductive and narrow for my tastes. That's why I brought my own definition to the table. Yes. Can I ask you, Pete, is martial arts something that you have a particular interest in? I'm a big fan of martial arts. I did do some taekwondo as a youngster and some jiu-jitsu. So I definitely have an interest in the area. So I was aware of Eskrima, which is why I called it Eskrima, because I hadn't heard those other names for it. Mint Choc Chip is my favourite. Mint Choc Chip. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, but what I liked about this one was just the guys just in T-shirts with sticks. When I saw the old footage, you know, you're used to the monks in courtyards or these just guys in back alleys, each other whacking at each other with sticks. They're usually quite serene, aren't they? Or they're balletic almost. They have a set way of proceeding. I did manage to find a little bit of footage, actually, Ryan. We did talk about whether I could find some footage. Uh, and I have posted it on our Twitter and other social media. So if you do want to actually see some of this, uh, it's on our socials. Check it out. What surprised me, Pete, was it really did look like back alley fighting as opposed to some of that more militaristic style of karate where you see 30 guys in a row all doing the same move. Yeah. It's certainly not that kind of martial art. It really wasn't, was it? It was just two guys going at it with sticks. And it was interesting because I actually posted that bit of footage on Reddit and someone there commented under the post. They said, when I was a kid in the 70s, we had this friendly neighbourhood Lolo, which is like a grandfather, that would teach Arnie's to any kid that wanted to learn. He was in his 60s, was around five feet tall, but he was really strong. He says, imagine Marvel comic accurate Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> he says, in one community event, he was invited to do an Arnie showcase. For the highlight, he staged a spa with his friend and they used Kamagong or Magkono sticks. And they say, if you aren't familiar, Kamagong, Magkono are really hard types of wood. He says, their spa was really aggressive, like the video, and they had a few bruises between the two of them. The reason the event was memorable because the old guy shattered his hardwood Arnie's during during the spa. The amount of force you need to exert to break one can fracture bones. The fact that he did that in a spa with his friend made us kids doubt if the guy really was his friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was from a user called Light Charger Green. So thanks for that. It was a lovely little bit of colour of the, the real thing in action, as it were. I was taken, Peter, by something you said during the episode about how you're not a real fighter unless you've got the scars to prove it. And, and the, yeah, there were two, weren't there? There was the other quote that was, if you don't want to fight, you're not really an escrimador. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the, under these definitions, is football hooliganism a martial art? Uh, I would argue not, because I believe I, spe I specified that it had to have an element of skill, and you don't train to hooligan, do you? You just show up and take part. It's very much a free-for-all. Okay, I stand corrected from the expert. Are you trying to say that you have a history of martial arts, then? Or football hooliganism? <laughs> <laughs> um, funny enough... Neither. Seriously, though, would you ever consider doing one or have you ever considered doing one? Too energetic. Tai Chi, come on, that's not energetic. That's your retirement martial art, isn't it? You can do that in the park with the other biddies. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Tai Chi is that slow-moving energy-based movements, but you see it often see sort of old people in the park doing it. I see. Well, if I got to that age and felt I had to do that, 
I would rather be dead. <laughs> right. Okay. Good. All right, end of section. I'd rather be dead than do Tai Chi. It's not that bad. <laughs> Now, where did you get this definition about Manila from? The Manila envelope? No, sorry, sorry, the pop, the population density of Manila. Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. It would have been one of the many websites that I was trawling around stealing information from. Did you manage to cross-check it with any other websites? Oh, have we got a... Oh, get your sting ready, Ryan. I think we've got a correction coming. The sting is poised. <laughs> yes, so I, I, I did... If you, if you said... Within city proper, it is actually the most densely populated city in the world, not even just a capital. Well, I like to think it was implied that it was city proper. That's definitely what I was thinking. But the definition of Manila, though, you know, Manila isn't even the largest city, is it? Is it not? No. It's the only city I know. So what's the other one then? Well, the largest city is called Quezon City. Oh, how big's that? Twice the size of Manila. Wow. In terms of population, but obviously it's a lot bigger in area, so it's not as dense. And it was, it was uh, one thing I do know, it, it was planned to be the capital because Quezon was like a famous you know, politician from the era when they were getting independence uh, from the US. And so they built this city, which I think is right next to Manila. And so you, you've got this thing called Metro Manila, which sort of has a population of about 10 million. And there's an area called Mega Manila, which is sort of... Mega wow. Manila! I love that! <laughs> within within about 50 miles of the sort of Manila, Quezon City area. And it's got a population of 41 million. Oh, my wow. Lord. That That's is insane. mega. But Manila itself, within city proper, only has a population of about a million and a half. But how densely populated it is. Very densely populated because it came out at over 100,000 people per square mile. That is extraordinary, isn't it? Yes. My main recollection of it was just the traffic, which was just relentless. So you've not been to Mega Manila then, Pete? I've been to Mini Manila. Mm. <laughs> well, Manila. One, is, one is in the other, isn't it? So Manila, Greater Manila... Mega Manila. Yeah, we had the good sense slash good fortune to locate ourselves within reasonable walking distance of a lot of the cool things to see. Um, only once did we attempt to cross the city and once was more than enough, I have to say. Yeah. I was taken by something you said there, Paul, that the name of the larger city, Quezon, I'm trying to think of other cities that have been named after a person. I think Ho Chi Minh City. Leningrad. Leningrad. That's a good one. George Washington. Yeah, Washington. Gavin, London. (laughs) (laughs) Irving, Berlin. (laughs) Melbourne. Who's Melbourne? (laughs) Well, Melbourne was named after the Earl of Melbourne. Oh, I thought his name was Melbourne. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so, Your Honour, is that worthy of me pushing the button and playing the sting? No, it's not. Come on. Did he get it wrong or not? Depends upon the context. I'll leave it up to you, Ryan. Clearly, I didn't get it wrong. Clearly, I didn't define my terms sufficiently, but I was, in fact, correct. Oh, <laughs> fine. 
Don't just press the button. Oh, all right then. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter got it wrong. 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 Now, Peter. During the episode, you were very kind in producing for me a lovely can of San Miguel beer. As I trekked far to the shop around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) To pick up a can. And we were both surprised, weren't we, that it was uh, Filipino made and not Spanish, which is, I think, what most people would assume by the name San Miguel. Yeah. So you also told us, Pete, how basketball is the national sport of the Philippines as well. And that surprised me. I did. I did. And I put that down to the American influence. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So I decided to sort of look into both of those things, San Miguel and also basketball. You're going to tell me there's a drunk basketball league? <laughs> well, I'm very pleased to uh, announce that San Miguel have their own professional basketball team. Nice. Yeah. So in 1975, the San Miguel Corporation were basically looking for ways to sort of increase the brand and promote their products. And so they decided on one really good way to get the name out there. And that was to form a basketball team that could, you know, represent the company. And then they could put logos and all that sort of stuff on it. So they made a team and they entered it into the Philippine Basketball Association the PBA. Now, initially, and this is what a bit confused me, the team was called the Royal True Orange. That was the name of the team. I feel like they've failed in their marketing efforts. (laughs) Yeah, but that wasn't working out. So they changed the name to Gold Eagle Beerman, right? But with the corporation's diversification into ice cream making, the team was then rebranded as the Magnolia Ice Cream Makers. What? <laughs> These guys did not go to marketing college, did they? Let's be honest. But then they changed the name again to the Magnolia Quench Plus. <laughs> <laughs> then the Magnolia Cheese Makers. <laughs> Followed in 2007 by the Magnolia Beverage Masters, followed by the Petron Blaze Boosters. So this is every single product they make, they name the team after it. This one every year they get a new product. Yeah, before finally they settled on the more simple name, San Miguel Beerman. That's the name of the team. They really went the long way around there, didn't they? <laughs> they did. And so as a team, they started out poorly. The first couple of years, they ended up in the bottom half of the table in the first four seasons. But by 1980, things had started to improve and they managed to make it as semi-finalists in the Open Conference. And that was kind of like the turning point because they won their first championship just a few years later, defeating the pure food hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> And they went on to win two more championships in the 1990s after that. I will take my cynicism about American uh, sports teams' names back, because that is an order of magnitude better than this. But yeah, so their real success came in the 2000s, and they have now recorded a total of 28 championships, including the Perpetual Jun Bernardino Trophy, which is awarded uh, to any team that wins three cups in a row. And they did that between 2015 to 2017. And to date, they are considered the most successful franchise in the league's history. Uh, Their most famous player uh, is Ramon Fernandez. Don't they get their players to change their names as well? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Multi-delicious Fernandez. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So Ramon Fernandez, he's won 19 championships with the team. So he's like the real stalwart player. Here's some uh, San Miguel Beerman facts. They play at the Smart Arienta Coliseum in Quezon City. They have a long-standing rivalry with the Ginebra San Miguel Kings. They play in red, black and white. Have a guess what their mascot is. Massive can of lager. It's a massive can of lager. <laughs> so what, there's a little man in, there's a little man inside it. Is there running around the side? Yeah, of it's the... a soft costume San Miguel beer can and a man inside running around waving his arms. Please tell me the players are contractually obliged to shotgun a beer after every hoop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you want to know some of the other teams in the PBA conference? There's the Converge Fiber Xers. There's the TNT Trop Gang Giga. <laughs> there's the Rain or Shine Elasto Painters. And then finally, there's the Magnolia Chicken Templados Hotshots. <laughs> so Magnolia is like a subsidiary of the San Miguel Corporation. So they have a number of different companies. I think they're just trying to take over the league with all their products. God, that's so cynical, isn't it? We've got a big game coming up, guys, against the Kraft Cheese Slices. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I think we should create our own professional basketball team for History Happened Everywhere and get that entered into the uh, PBA. Yeah, the HHE podcast Pistons. <laughs> piss, piss takes, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> well, let people make their own jokes. <laughs> So, Ryan, there was a whole section that I wasn't able to include in the podcast itself because we only have so much time and I had so many interesting things. But this is what the verdict is for, to bring my leftovers, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Do hang in there, listeners. <laughs> I hope you feel spoiled. It, is a, it, was, it was a good section, but I just couldn't really tie it into the time period very well, so I left it out. This is like uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas leftovers, isn't it? It's the stuff you keep going back to the fridge for. Right. So it's not just people who fight for sport in the Philippines. It is one of the relatively few countries in which cockfighting is both legal and incredibly popular. Really? Yeah, it's known as Sabong in uh, the Philippines, and there are 2,500 stadiums dedicated across the country to cockfighting. Right. Wow. wow. So it's a, it's a government-licensed affair, so fights are restricted, I, I think, to Sundays, or you can get a special permit if it's not a Sunday. And it's uh, quite a money spinner for the government as well. After the COVID period, they had to shut down all of the um cock rings <laughs> <laughs> i think they call them pits actually the cockpits okay <laughs> so anyway over covid they shut down the cockpits and duterte reopened them mostly because he wanted the monthly taxes that they bring in of about 640 million pesos about 11 and a half million dollars well i can see they don't want why they don't want to shut it down exactly so now it's also moved online so it's now known as e-sabong <laughs> that's your online betting on cocks wait 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 what do you mean it's online they stream the fights now are, are they real cocks or it's not virtual cocks mesococks <laughs> yeah no right, no okay. they just stream they stream the, the shows now apparently to participate in one of these cock fights your cock has to be properly trained which is why I was managing to think that's technically a martial art it's a trained feat right. of, of martial prowess how do you get a chicken to hold an escrima stick well uh, they don't but they are armed actually so they're quite well treated obviously 
up to a point. Um, they get fed with a good diet. They're supposed to have lots of vitamins and supplements, and they're you know they're looked after well because when it comes to it, they get put in the pit and they get a sharp metal blade, basically a spur, tied to the bird's leg, and they fight sort of slashing at each other. Where mm. naturally they have a little spur on their leg, but they sort of enhance this with a blade. Yeah, that's the classic that that used to ha- that used to happen all over the world. The cockfighting, and they used to put the little blade on. Yeah, absolutely. Now. The- <laughs> It's just a bloodthirsty sport in a way because the biggest event in the uh, cockfighting cup, known as the Olympics of cockfighting, is called the World Slasher Cup. Oh. Yeah, so it's a pretty bloody affair and the birds are frequently killed in the fights and I think some of the fights are to the death. But it's not just birds it can be dangerous for. In uh, 2020, there was a raid on an illegal cockfight and a police officer named Christian Bolock. Bolock? Bolock, yes, that was his name. Uh, And he tried to grab one of the fighting cockerels. And during the struggle with this cockerel, one of the blades attached to his legs severed his femoral artery and he died. He was killed by a fighting cock. I mean, that is terrible. That's shocking, isn't it? Do they give little belts to the cocks? Uh, yes, no, they, there is no belt system. You don't become a first down. You don't get a stick. But uh, yeah, you are. I guess, I'm not exactly sure how one goes about training a cock. I suspect it's a matter of kind of enhancing their natural fighting instincts. As cocks will fight for dominance anyway, won't they? Well, chickens will. They're nasty things. Yeah, little dinosaurs, those things. Well, yeah, they're horrible. Well, now they're dinosaurs with knives. Is there any international outcry, Pete, on this? Are there calls to shut this down? Certainly, it is a it's a blood sport, and wherever there are animal blood sports, you will find people who oppose them. Actually, during the quest for Philippine independence, cockfighting was considered a sort of shame on the people of the Philippines, and they're saying, "How could we be independent if we still have these barbaric practices?" So, yeah. both within the Philippines and outside, there are people who think it's not a nice thing to do, but it is incredibly popular even to this day. So, I'm not in favour of blood sports as a whole i must admit so on balance i probably wouldn't support certainly not to the death cockfighting maybe a bit of cock wrestling wrangling at least as a fighting <laughs> animal you kind of do get pampered and then you have a few minutes of very intense and possibly life-ending excitement but you know the the off the downtime is pretty good as <laughs> from an animal's point of view oh i can't believe you've just tried to justify cockfighting from the well, cock's thing perspective. Is, I've built a cockpit in my garden, so I'm really hoping to take off in this country. I've uh, bought the rights to ukcockfighting.com. All right, cool. Well, if you've put a pit in your back garden, Pete, me and Paul will come over and we'll get our cocks out. We can have a good old uh, rumble in your back garden. Clash of the cocks. <laughs> <laughs> I regret bringing this to the verdict. <laughs> Right. So, you may remember, Pete, you brought us a lovely, delicious San Miguel beer to drink. <laughs> I'm getting a feeling of deja vu, are you, Paul? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so I was doing some more research on San Miguel. Were you just drinking a lot this week? <laughs> I was doing a lot of drinking, it's yeah. It's an interesting term for research. <laughs> but what I did discover is there is a thing called San Miguel Escrima. No. Yeah. Did, did you not discover this? I did not uh, discover this. This is news. Fill me in. So there is a thing called San Miguel Escrima. So it's not connected with the beer. Fighting with three cans of lager taped together into a stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just glass bottles. <laughs> That's a bit more back alley, isn't it? That is a bit more <laughs> traditional to the roots of Escrima, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. Well, look, so San Miguel Escrima, it is a martial art. It's a variation of 
the modern form of Arnis, created by Grandmaster Momoi Kanete. Ah, oh, those Kanetes, they were there from the start, weren't they? The Kanete were all over the Escrima game. Yeah, and so it was named San Miguel, not after the beer, but after Saint Michael, the archangel who defeated Satan and cast him out of heaven. With sticks. With sticks, sticks. yeah. <laughs> In a back alley. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's known for its minimalistic fighting style. There's just 12 basic strikes, um, although there are then a number of variations on those 12. It uses a longer Eskrima stick, uh, which means that the fights are longer range rather than more up close. Um, the World San Miguel Eskrima organization, uh, that was set up to promote the style and uh, it is now internationally recognized. In fact, one of the most notable grandmasters is a guy from Plymouth. Nice! <laughs> yeah, in the UK. A guy called Anton St. James. Uh, have you got his name right? It's Saint with an apostrophe, James. Sinjin. Sinjins. <laughs> Ant- Anton Sinjin. No, can you remember Norman St. John Stevens? No. Norman St. John Stevens, known as St. John. So, yeah, he's known by his students as Chief. He got involved with martial arts at a young age after watching the 1970s TV series Kung Fu, starring David Carradine. So, of caught his imagination. He decided he was going to spend his time learning different martial arts. But his passion with Eskrima actually started nine years later, 1979, again when he was watching TV, but this time a BBC documentary about the world's greatest warriors, which featured Eskrima Supreme Grandmaster Kakoi Kanete. Yes, he was the one who had the ongoing rivalry with Venencio back on. Ah, that's good to know. Okay, cool. So he was fascinated by this documentary, and particularly uh, Kakoi Kanete, and uh, he made a promise to himself that he was going to travel to the Philippines to learn it. And that is exactly what he did. He went over to the Philippines and he trained with Kanete himself, and by 2014 was awarded the 10th degree Grandmaster's Certification in San Miguel Escrima System. And since then, he's dedicated his life to the preservation and promotion of of Filipino martial arts. He runs the Eskrima Masters Academy in Plymouth. Um, he's the director for European Kakoi Doke Pares and the chief instructor for the San Miguel Eskrima in Europe. He's a three times Doke Pares Hall of Fame inductee. He was named the International Martial Artist of the Year in 2015 at the Philippines Hall of Fame Awards. He's been featured in three books, Legends of the Martial Arts, The Warrior's Path and The World's Greatest Martial Artist, uh, which is appropriate because while Eskrima is his passion, Anton is also ranked ninth degree black belt in karate and kickboxing and has various other degrees of black belt qualifications in Tang Sudo, Nanbudo, Okinawan Kobudo, White Tiger Gung Fu, Daichi Chaun and Mai Tai, which he also teaches. He's two times British karate champion, one time European karate champion. He's fluent in English, Spanish and Filipino. He's a public speaker and a motivational mentor, and he's head of various different charities in the UK, including self-defence groups dedicated to reducing the impact of knife crimes. Now, I was stunned by how impressive this guy is. I mean, he's literally he's only in his 60s. I'm shocked at how Pete's grade is just tumbling when you're saying all of this. Why is my grade tumbling? This is good stuff. Yeah, why didn't you find it out? (laughs) But also, I would observe, Ryan, that you said he was a black belt in Mai Tai, which I think is a cocktail, isn't it? (laughs) You have done your research, finally. (laughs) And he was a yellow belt in Margarita. (laughs) 
Okay, Peter, we have come to the end of the line. It is time to step into the dock and prepare to face the People Sensei. I'm ready. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Then will the defendant please bow? Oh, I like that. <laughs> he actually did bow, <laughs> which was quite sweet. Yeah. Uh, your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your grading on factual content. This is very difficult, as I know very little about the Philippines, although clearly more than Pete does, and I knew very little about martial arts. Well, you know a lot more now. So are you willing to not grade factual content? I, no, I will, gra- I will grade the factual content, but... I will have to sort of say, sorry, Pete, I will go straight in the middle. C. C, okay. That's like, what, an orange belt or something? Blue belt? No. It's not black, is it? It's about an orange, I'd say. (laughs) Orange, okay. So, Your Honour, may we have the grading for entertainment value? Were you entertained? Um, I shall be brutally honest, not really. All right, then may we have the grade <laughs> for entertainment value. I should give you D plus. Oh, ouch. I'm fist of furious. <laughs> All right, then, uh, Sensei, may we have your grading for the elusive, the mysterious Dursley Factor? Uh, sorry, P. I'm just going to go straight to D. Wow. This is not strong, Pete. How are you feeling at this point? My kung fu is the best. What does that mean? It means I don't need his validation. (laughs) Well, on that note, before the judge passes his ruling, (laughs) Peter, you have an opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, which I strongly recommend you do, please make that plea now. I guess less of a plea and more of a threat. I spent an episode learning the martial arts. I've trained, I've learned that the need to prove oneself in the field of combat, and uh, I know where you live. So that, sir, is my plea. Wow, that is (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable plea. Uh, Your Honour, <laughs> the defendant stands before you with a menacing look in his eye. Yeah. Uh, have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have reached a verdict. In which case, I would ask most respectfully for your grading. Peter, for this, I give you... E. Okay, that's backfired badly. <laughs> wow. I will not be intimidated in my own house. Yeah, I could see how I may have gone wrong there. That, I, Looking back on it, that was a bad choice. Hey, kids, Whoa. violence is not the answer. <laughs> I'm staggered. Is that your first EP? Uh, I think it might be. Welcome to the E Club. Hey! High five. He's a good. (laughs) (laughs) Even I know that reference. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, well, look, there you go. That is our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation there goes a long way to bringing the show to new listeners. And of course, if you're on Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you'll get an alert whenever we post any extra information, news, photos, or in this case, little movies of people fighting Eskrima style. And we're going to be back again soon with our next episode, episode 81, which is Faith in the Kamchatka Peninsula during 1450 to 1750. Do you know where that is now? No, nope, still not a clue. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> but in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And that is it. I guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to All right, gents, I've got one last thing to talk about, and that is Imelda Marcos. Ah, shoe lady. Yeah, shoe lady. So this was the former first lady of the Philippines, and uh, she was, of course, famous for her extensive collection of shoes. Over 3,000 pairs, you said, Pete. Wasn't that right? I did, yes. She left them behind when uh, her and her husband were driven from power in 1986. She ran away barefoot. Well, yeah. She probably had some trainers or something left over, I'm sure. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's there going, darling, darling. The, Please. The, the coup is happening. <laughs> happening right now it's like i just don't know do these go with my outfit no please just pick one darling <laughs> yeah so the shoes were found and uh, they sort of became a bit of a symbol of the marcos's extravagance and corruption and in 1990 the shoes were put on display at the national museum of the philippines uh, but not all of them some of the shoes disappeared <laughs> and have since appeared in auctions there was one that was sold in 2012 a pair of Ferragamo pumps, uh, which sold for 3,500 US dollars. Um, although I am assured that a lot of the shoes are starting to fall apart, disintegrate, basically, which has led the former first lady to try and reclaim all of her shoes. In 1995, she filed a petition with the Supreme Court of the Philippines saying that the shoes were her personal property and that the government had no right to confiscate them. Yeah, the, gov the government run by her son. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court ruled against her, uh, but she then made another appeal in 2012. Uh, she also asked for the return of other belongings, including jewellery and clothing. The insurance claim. Uh, but no, that was that was declined as well. So no, she's still out there, still hoping to get her shoes back, but it looks like that is not going to happen anytime soon. I would have lost my bet on that one then. Oh, you thought she was going to get them back? No, I thought she was dead. Oh. <laughs> 